That's a sports ball. Sports Com- ball. Coming to you from the Sports Ball Studios. You are now listening to the Small Monster Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Small Market Podcast with your hosts, Wataki and Hoffman. How are you doing today, Wataki? Doing real good, Hoffman. It's been a long time, no talkie. Right? Long, yeah, long time, no speaky. Long time, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're just, we are, I'll tell our listeners out there what we're doing. We're approaching episode 100, right? Yep. So we're trying to make sure that we get good quality guests and just good quality shows. We want everyone to be important leading up to it and today didn't disappoint um technology had disappointed, disappointed us a little bit and you'll so. find out <laughs> but uh but our guests certainly did not um we had mr al borges he is a uh a former offensive coordinator um kind of been a kind of a, a bit of a journeyman for uh college football when you he's, say Otaki. yeah he's been all over he's been yeah. at Boise State, Oregon, UCLA, Cal, Indiana, Auburn, yes. Michigan, and more. Um, yeah. And he's he's you know widely considered one of the great offensive minds for the last two decades. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, um, and the athletes he's seen throughout the years is the list is is uh, numerous and just remarkable. Super cool, down to earth guy. Uh, the kind of guests that we like having on our show. Yep. Very easy to talk to. And he's got a book coming out called Deny of the Tiger. Deny of the Tiger. It's about, it's kind of a reference to his time in Auburn um, where they had an undefeated season and were denied going to the national championship, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, and he's got a lot of other really fun stories packed in that book as well. Um, The book comes out in August. Uh, I was really excited. He already, you know, kind of invited or committed to, hey, I'd like to come on the show again, you know, closer to August or September, right around the start of uh, college football you know, college, season. What college a great time season. to have a book come out. Yeah, and when when his book drops. So uh, we'll talk to you anything else you want to say about him before we, we lead into our interview with Mr. Borges? Nope, we'll lead right into it. All right, here he is. Welcome back to the Small Market Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Watucky, alongside my co-host, A.J. Hoffman. We are brought to you tonight by uh, Curveball Collectibles at 166 North Center Road in Saginaw, Michigan, and the Chemical City Paper. Uh, Our guest tonight is a college football offensive mind for over 20 years, uh, most notably with the Auburn Tigers and his 2004 undefeated season, uh, Mr. Al Borges. Al, how you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Thanks for coming on with us. We're doing awesome. That's good to be with yeah. you. Yeah. So, Al, you have a book coming out called Deny of the Tiger, which chronicles that 2004 undefeated season where you guys were snubbed uh, from being chosen for the uh, national championship game at the time. Um, what, what was your inspiration to write this book? There's a couple. But one of them was that, 
uh, being denied the opportunity. But that was, you know, it's 18 years ago, right? I mean, some of that's worn off. But uh, it's it's funny. I had a great experience in Auburn. I mean, a great one. I was there four years. We won 41 games. and It was memorable. But my son, who uh, has, was just a little kid. I mean, he was like four, I think, when we left. Never lost that Auburn fand- fandom, if that makes any sense, okay? Yeah. He's still got it in his blood. I mean, he follows Auburn. You know, you think he'd be a Michigan fan. <laughs> but he, he follows Auburn. as fan- His buddies all give him crap. <laughs> but uh, he follows all he, basketball, football, baseball. He knows the recruiting. He knows it all. And now he's 17. All right. Mm-hmm. Now he was a little hard back then, but now he's 17. So he says, Dad, I want to go to Auburn. So I said, all right. Uh, what's the best atmosphere I could put him in, the best setting for Auburn to show him the essence of the place? So I said, let's go to the Iron Bowl. So I've been doing Zooms all year for uh, WTKA in, in Ann Arbor, the radio station with Sam Webb. Yep. And I go to every game. We do telestrations. We do a whole hour deal every week. But that week I decided not to go to the Ohio State-Michigan game and take my son to Auburn, Alabama. Went there, had a great time. I mean, he got a chance to see the essence of it he saw. Really good game. The wrong team won, but still was a good game. I got to see some of the kids. That, they're not kids anymore, but some of the guys I coached back then. But the thing that was the coolest is I got a chance to see the fans again, and it was like I never left. It was 18 years ago. You think it was yesterday. I was getting stopped at every turn. People just, you know, uh, it was neat. It was a great stroke to my ego. But more than that, it brought back some wonderful memories. So when I came back to uh, Michigan, I sat down and I had two things that resonated with me. One is my son now has to go to Auburn. I mean, it was just too good of an experience. I mean, there was no doubt about that. That was solidified. And number two is I wanted to do something. What could I do for the fans that were so great to me when I was there and so great to me when I came back 18 years later? And I couldn't think of anything to do. And the first thing came to mind, I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book. Now, guys, I'm a football coach, okay? This is not Ernest Hemingway or John Gresham. (laughs) Let's be clear on that. And I say that in the book, not to mention a lot of other things. So I said, I'm going to write the book, but I'm going to write the book like a coach. I'm not going to write the book. You know, I want to make sure there's good sentence structure, and I don't want us to look illiterate and all that, but they'll edit all that out. But I told them one thing I don't want you to edit out is the coaching stuff. And it's a little PG at times. It doesn't get into R or X too much, but it's a little PG at times. But I did not want to – belied the authenticity of the scenarios. If there was a time during the game that was emotion filled or something, I, I made that clear to the fans. What I said to the quarterbacks, what I said to the, the offense, the whole thing. And what I did that really helped, this was a key thing. I had 13 DVDs of every game we played that season. So I went back and put them in my Blu-ray and watched them one play at a time. And so many thoughts were triggered from watching those things that, you know, it's been a while now, right? I said, you know, the, the quarterback come to the sideline, I go, God, I remember what I told him there. You know, we break into the halftime, the locker room for halftime. I remember what I told him at halftime. So many things just came back, you know, it was a great deal. there. So the inspiration was my son, first of all, just getting me to go to Auburn. But once I came back, 
the experience I had in Auburn inspired me to write the book. Okay. Now, going into that 2004 season, the previous year, uh, Tommy Tuberville, that was his fifth season as head coach, and they were what, eight and five, I think. And what is the mood? I guess my question is, what is the mood in the locker room going into that season? You got a new offensive coordinator. I believe that was your first year there. And your coach is kind of on the hot seat to some degree. Um, well, kind of. <laughs> so, that so, seat was crisp. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. How was that question. for you coming in, you know, as the new guy trying to get this offense going, knowing that your backs are immediately against the wall by association? No doubt. That's a great question. I mean, that that's a great lead-in to the whole thing. Because I came as an underdog from Indiana. There had been three guys that had already interviewed for the job. And I called in late because I heard about it late. And I had the strength coach that I had worked with at UCLA, I did Kevin Yox. So I said, Yox, what's the odds of getting this job? He goes, ooh. He goes, I'll, I'll talk to a coach. But he's already interviewed three guys. So when I got off the phone, I thought, I don't think I'm going to get this job, you know. Well, it turned out they called me like the next day or two and said, come on. So I came and you hit it on the head. There was a lot of, it was a tumultuous 2023 because the expectations were high. A lot of the publications had rated Auburn in the top five because of the returning group and the talent level they had. They felt like they were going to have a really good team and they lost the first couple games and they weren't moving the ball at all. I think it took them the third game to score a touchdown. And they had changed coordinators, made the line coach a coordinator, and, uh, oh, God, you know what, hit the fan, right? Yeah. So uh, the season went through. Uh, they had a lot of ebb and flow. And then the last game before Alabama, after the Georgia game, they, the fans, the, the, the big wigs had had enough. Okay? They'd had enough. They were going to make a coaching change. So they uh, worked behind the scenes to get the coach at Louisville there. Uh, they beat Alabama. Well, beating Alabama, no, man, that's like a breath of fresh air, right? That's like inflating yeah, the, the balloon, okay? And uh, they found out that they had done this behind the scenes and uh, all hell broke loose, okay? And they kept Tuberville, but like you said, it was it was a hot seat. I knew it coming in, you know what I mean? And fortunately, I had a two-year contract, but I, I, you know, that's nice, but that doesn't get you to wins, okay? So I came in as a... Uh, this is how I and I, I use this analogy in a book. Okay, and I'm going to say I don't want to talk too much about the book, but this is. Did you guys have you guys seen my cousin Vinny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. great movie. Okay. I've seen it ten times. I'd love the movie, at least ten, maybe more. I was Vinny Gambini. Okay, I was the West Coast uh, West Coast version of Vinny Gambini. I came in, I didn't know how to talk, know how to dress, didn't know what they ate, drank or anything. I mean, I was. And they didn't know me from Adam, and I came from Indiana, which didn't have a great football reputation. I'd had a lot of successes at other places I'd been, but not in Indiana. So I was not a popular pick. And I had, like Vinny Gambini, I had to earn an unconventional merit at the end of the at the end of the movie. He's kind of the hero, but through the movie, they think he's a moron, right? right. Well, that was kind of me until we start doing real well. I was uh, I had a a a, a culture. Uh, not culture shock, but culture adjustment to the South that went beyond coaching, you know, listening to how guys talked. I mean, I make, I alluded to this in the book several different times just to give people who are from the South an idea what it's like to be that fish out of water. Okay. But the adjustment was good because I'm a little bit of a chameleon anyway. I can adjust 
to darn near any environment, but not instantly. I mean, there's there is a little learning curve there, and some you know, climatizing or whatever they call it. Uh, but that it's an interesting part of the book, as I tell. The book is, is is yes, it's about thirteen games, but about a third to half of it's storytelling. How we got to that point with the things that happened, and a lot of it is funny, a lot of it's compelling, in, and the funny parts are mostly at my expense. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really what the book's about. I I didn't want it to be a normal book. They've done like several publications on this season because it was such you know it's I mean it's a pretty interesting deal yeah. when you win every game and you don't go to the championship. And you're an SEC team. That's just yeah. <laughs> well, that's that was one of the big that season. There was five undefeated teams total, and that was one of the seasons that really launched the serious discussions of college football playoffs. You know? I really believe it was the it was the impetus. Yeah, yeah. It didn't happen for ten years now. It didn't happen till fourteen, but it was that the was... impetus. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Definitely. sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> no, no, you, you guys cut me off anytime you feel like I tend to talk too much anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but that I think it was a driving force behind the change. Okay, uh, it was an unusual season. Uh, SC and Oklahoma went wire to wire, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we did too. But we came from seventeen. Yeah. You know, we started at seventeen, and we had to. You know, we didn't hear any noise at the beginning like they did the year before. They assumed we were going to be average. But all of a sudden, we start winning games. Here come the noise. Here come the distractions. Then when you get down to the last three or four games of the season, it's like baseball scoreboard watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, okay, how did they do? How many did they win by? You know what I mean? It was was hard to block it out. But our kids were so focused because of 2003. They were not keeping, taking their eye off the ball. And that was, it was really cool as a coach to get that kind of uh, intensity, that kind of focus week in and week out with a team that, Really didn't care who got the credit. You know, it was uh, one of those deals. It's a special, special football team. Well, what was the turning point in that season then? I mean, you had the 10-9 win against LSU, the defending champs. That was one of them. And then uh, of them. I believe you had a big win against Tennessee where you kind of blew okay, the doors that was, off that them. Was real okay. the, 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 I, I describe it this way, okay? And I don't want to tell us, you know, because so much of this is in the book, but I do want to, I want to tease it a little bit too, <laughs> sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, LSU to me was a game uh i the the title the the, the uh, title of that uh chapter is a fist fight described as a football game or uh, uh, disguised as a football game okay because it was so physical okay but what that game did for our team is prove to us we could play with anybody lsu had won the national championship the year before uh, they were extremely well coached had nick was a head coach and, and will muschamp who i worked with later was a defensive coordinator Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator, and you know what Jimbo's done. And they were extremely talented. But after the game was over, we proved a couple of things. One, we could come back and win. But more than that, we could beat, we could play with anyone. We could play with anyone. Score was 10 to 9. We needed to, the kicker needed to mulligan on the kick because we got a penalty and got to re-kick it and beat him 10 to 9. But that wasn't the turning point. That was just the game that made us believe we could play with anybody. The turning point to me was Tennessee. That was what I call the coming out party. That one. That game proved we could beat anyone. That now, we, or at least we believe we could at that point. We said, okay, we can play with anybody with LSU, but we can beat anybody because we didn't just beat Tennessee. We took them apart. Yeah. And we took them apart in Knoxville where that just isn't done much back then. We're not a Phil Fulmer team. So we left mm-hmm. Knoxville believing that bring it on. Who's next? So at the end of that season, well, now flash forward into the future. 
all the things come out about USC in the scandal. College football is a sport where this happens a lot. Well, even college basketball, college athletics in general. You don't see it in pro sports much. Um, it always comes, seems to come out years later. They had players that were, let's say, being paid under the table. There's all this stuff going on. As a coach, what's it like in that culture where it's – I mean, you guys basically got shafted by a team that really shouldn't have been there if they were playing by the rules. But it happens so much in college football. It's like there's just an apathy about it, it seems like. Yeah, and I, no, but believe me, after the fact, that hurt more than it did at the time, okay? Uh, uh, we were the odd men out. I, I truly believe we were a better team in Oklahoma. I, there's nothing going to make me – nothing will make me believe we would have beat Oklahoma. And that's with all due respect to Oklahoma because they, they, they had a good year and had a good team, but they didn't match up with us. Now, SC, that would have been hard. I'm not going to kid you. SC had Lindell White. They had Reggie Bush. We had Ronnie, and we had Cadillac. They had Lent Leinart. We had Jason Campbell. Our receivers were basically, we were almost mirror images of each other. Defensively, uh, we led the country in scoring defense. Okay? So, if they, they weren't going to just go through us like they had gone through some of the teams early in the year. So, uh, when it was over, I was disappointed because we didn't get to play them. Because I, I really believe we could beat them too. But I'm not going to say, if you put Norm Chow on this, he'd tell you they beat us. So I, I think it, you know, it goes both ways. But I'm just saying that... Uh, after the fact, when you hear what happened, okay, they, they got caught doing something they shouldn't have been doing. I don't know, I guess. But why aren't we the champions? <laughs> Give me a reason for that now. That, that's the next thing. I says, all right, they screwed up. They clobbered Oklahoma. You can't tell me Reggie Bush made a 55-19 difference. He might have made a touchdown or two difference, but yeah. he didn't make that big a difference, okay? Uh, Utah was a hell of a team. They weren't as good as us. They were They couldn't that just didn't match up good enough against us. So, at the end of the day, who's the best team in the country? To me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's yeah. not, you don't vacate it. Nobody vacates a championship. Only if you don't have a legitimate champion, then you vacate a champion. But to us, what did we do wrong? Nothing. We won every game. We didn't have any recruiting violations. We did all everything right, and they still didn't pick us, and that's frustrating. And that's that's another reason I wrote the book, is in the title of the book, uh, being what it is. Now, I'm going to kind of move away from the book and ask you some general questions about college football since I got you on the show here, Al, if that's all right. Sure. Um, there's a lot of talk, especially around these parts up in Michigan, uh, with them having their struggles against OSU up until this year. Um, talent level. The talent level for the schools up north is not the same as the talent level for the schools down south. You've been at UCLA, uh, Cal over in the Pac-12. You've been at Indiana, Michigan, been in the Oregon. SEC, Oregon. Yeah, you've been at a fair amount of schools to be able to be a good judge of this. Is the talent level that big of diff? That is there that big a difference of a talent level that there should be such favoritism to SEC schools? Is there that big? No. Is there a talent level difference? Yes. No. You're just. Uh, you're a few players away from being able to play with them, okay? Now, the Michigan played Georgia, and believe me, I beat that game up and down. Now, yeah. we did a post-game analysis on it. I didn't – I mean, I, I could tell you every play. I got it memorized. Georgia played about as good as they could play. I mean, they did. They played – and the, the office coordinator was hot. He was calling passes into matchups the whole game. I mean, it's just, it's a clinic. Uh, did speed play a part? You bet it did. They were they're fast, and that's that's the one thing I think where they 
they're a little better is is they they recruit a little bit more speed. But that, I'm going to say this: I I was at Michigan. We recruited a lot of guys against Alabama and won. We beat them on guys. Okay, so it isn't like you're going in there saying, "Well, Alabama gets every guy." They don't. So what you are really is a few plays away, a few players away from being able to play and beat those people. Think about it now. If they can get to the top four, they're about three or four recruits away from winning the whole thing, in my opinion. Okay? How were they when they did win the whole thing? What's it? Right? Yeah. Does Alabama have anybody that good? No. no. They don't. They don't. And they've got some good guys, but they got nobody that good. Okay? Think about the guys that played for Michigan when they won it. They're guys like Alabama has. They're guys like 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 uh, uh, like uh, Georgia has. They had Glenn Steele, I believe. Yeah, He's, he was he was dominant inside as a defensive tackle, much like the kid they had this year that for for Georgia. I mean, they had those kind of guys, and that's why they could play that level of football. They're not quite there yet. They're not as good as that ninety seventeen, but they're not a long way off anymore. But, so I, I'm just saying, three or four key recruits in some key positions. Enhance their speed, get a, a big run stopper in the middle. Hell, they can win it. They can win it. So do you see this previous year then being the anomaly, or do you think they're actually on the precipice then well, of I something great? Yeah, well, I don't think it's an anomaly. I'll bet you they got the whole – to show you, they got the whole offense back now. And they're better. They've got a center that might be the best center. Could probably win, win the Remington. Okay, they, they get they got the from Virginia, Virginia. yeah. Yeah, and, and Vistars was a good center, but this kid's another level center, okay? He's going to help them. They're pretty much the same offensive lineman, right? They've got all back, right? they got Skullmacher back, right? Yeah. They enhanced their receivers because now uh, the slot's back, uh, Bell, okay? They, 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 they're they moving uh, uh, center still. He's playing nickel back on defense, though, okay? So uh, they got a lot of people there. Uh, Edwards is ready to break out. He's this kid's a talent now. He oh, catches. He's, he's a field. stud. Oh, he's a stud. He's like he's like Ronnie Brown, not quite as big as Ronnie, but he does a lot of the same stuff. And then they got the little guy. They got Corum. Uh, the quarterbacks, two kids that are very capable. One is systematically very good, and another kid who's an NFL talent. You know, he's going to have to prove he can. He's the best quarterback for their team. But their biggest issue, I think, is going to be filling some holes on defense. But they've always pretty much been able to do that. But their offense shouldn't miss it. Shouldn't not only not miss it, but it should be better. Really, if they keep everybody intact, should be better. So why not? Why not? Why? Why? Sh- the only thing I would say is, if the defense can fill the void, they'll be right back there. You know. Yeah, I would say your defense is. You lost a lot of guys on defense. You had Daxton yeah. Hill yeah. on the back end and stuff. So yeah, Aiden and Aiden and then uh, Ajabo. Yeah, which are it's two speed rushers are tough to lose. But they'll have other guys. Michigan, Michigan can get those guys. I'm telling you, they can get them. It's just putting it together, getting a little chemistry, keeping everybody healthy, and getting solid quarterback play week in and week out. Because not many teams win it without that. You can't all of a sudden spaz out one game because you'll lose to somebody you shouldn't lose at that position. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, so I think if they get all that stuff, I think they'll be right back in the fold again. What about, like, you coach Cadillac Williams, Ryan Brownlee said, Denard Robinson, who is the pound for pound? Who is the best athlete that you had coached? God, you do. You need about the fifth guy to ask me this question. <laughs> do I get an award for that, Al? Or? <laughs> I have a hard time because I feel like I'm sl- slighting somebody else. You know, I've coached probably 100 NFL 
players. I've yeah. coached Ad- three first round draft pick quarterbacks. Yeah. Right. Cade McDowell, one of my favorite, you know, oh, college Tim quarterbacks Tebow, of all miniature, time. Miniature Tebow. Yeah. Think about it. Miniature Tim Tebow. He didn't run a spread, but he could have. Okay. He threw the ball just like Tebow. Big long left handed sling, yep. you know. Yep. Uh playmaker, jumping over dudes, doing all the same stuff Tebow did, really. Oh yeah. The miniature Tebow. Because I saw Tebow go. I had deja vu, man. I said that. I coach that kid. Uh, <laughs> well, he's a little bigger. You know, he's bigger version, yeah. but same type of player. But I, it's just too hard. I mean, overall skill set by Ronnie was as good as it because he could catch a ball with his eyes closed. I mean, he was an unbelievable hands. Ran at the combine. He ran sub 4-4. Four four, and he raised 230 pounds. What else you want? What else you want? You want? <laughs> right. I mean, well, right? I mean, tough, hey. smart. Coach, let me ride the, t- uh, the coattails of that question just a little bit, and I, I don't know if anybody's asked you this or not, but um, as far as guys like Cade McNown, Denard Robinson, Devin Gardner, you've coached a you know just a ton of them. When you are when you're in the moment, um, are you trying to develop that guy for the NFL, or are you just trying to de- develop him for your system at the time? No, just for our system. Okay. Uh, the residual of the NFL. That's the, the, we don't. So. Th- I don't think- that's a that's an after effect. I at what point does something click while while you're coaching like Kate or Denard or somebody and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's going to the league. Like what what is it that 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 guy shows you that that uh, you're like, oh he's going to be more than just just uh, you know just a great player for our our school. At what point is a hard answer, but you know it. Here's a big thing, uh, coaching uh, players who can play next level football. Okay, yeah, they have to fit the uh, all the prerequisites. Okay, they have to, you know, unless they're just an anomaly, they, you, they have to be a guy that can throw accurately, right? Good functional intelligence, pocket presence, uh, leadership skills, toughness. Yeah. A lot of those things. Cade had a lot of. Them. Cade wasn't the uh, prototype. He's about six one, right? Good arm strength, not great arm strength. Uh, pretty accurate for the most part. Uh, but here's the deal, guys. When you go into the NFL for the quarterback, you play in college, you play on 40 foot hash marks. Okay. In pro ball, you play on six yards. The hash marks are six yards apart. Okay. So every ball is thrown within the, from the pocket. Every throw is a throw. You know what I mean? There are no, like in college, you could throw it into the boundary and keep the throw short, or you could sprint to the field and keep the throw short. Mm-hmm. So you could quarterbacks with lesser arms, you could kind of cover their ass a little bit. You know what I mean? You'd have to throw every ball from the pocket. Pro ball ain't none of that now. There's not much sprint out passing pro football. You got to throw the ball from within those. So every time you drop back, if you can't make those throws into those cracks that can be very, very tight with coverage that's very, very tight, and give that receiver a chance to make that play with consistency, you're going to struggle. And that's that's where some of the guys fall by the wayside. Jason Campbell was out of central casting. He was a 6'5 kid with a big arm, nice quick release. He had played in with four coordinators in four years. That's the bad news. But the good news is he played for four coordinators in four years because he learned a lot of offense. Yeah. And when I, when I got him in the fourth year, there wasn't much I could throw at him that he didn't understand, you know, because he wasn't ingrained in one system. That was bad for him, but that was good for me because I couldn't fool him with anything. I didn't want to fool him with anything. He, he wasn't 
the learning curve was small because everything he did, he'd done before in some way, shape, or form. Now, the nuance, I taught certain nuances about the position with the footwork and such. It might have been a little different, but it wasn't such so drastically different that he couldn't make those adjustments. So uh, I didn't answer that question, not with a damn, but. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was a terrible question anyway, so no, really don't what, worry about it. It was a terrible it was a good question. I just, I just <laughs> I don't know when that happens, but yeah. I can tell you at the end of the season who I think has a chance to play next level football after yeah. I've seen him play X amount of games, perform under pressure, you know. Yeah, fair enough. Now you said that it it can get masked for some of those quarterbacks. Is that why you see some of these guys that are really high profile in college football and then they go to the league and, and they just don't they don't fit? Is that a lot to yeah. do with it? Yes, yes. Answer the answer to that it's simply yes. Here's the deal in college, okay? And Tim was a Tim Tebow and, and Cade was a, a bit of a product of this is the question is can the playmakers in college the Tim Tebow's the Craig McNown's right yeah throw the ball well enough in pro football to make up for the plays that they're not going to be able to make in pro football because of the speed of the defense you take a guy uh that runs around raises hell scores touchdowns and everybody's like Tim you know he just man he was Tim's as good a college quarterback as I ever saw but what Tim did didn't necessarily equate to professional football. He had to fill the void with his passing that he couldn't do with his running in college. Okay, all those quarterback runs you see him do, and well, they don't, you know, they don't want to get the quarterback hurt in pro football, so you don't have as many of those. So without that, where does he pick up the slack? He's got to be able to throw it, right? Got to right. throw it, and if he can't throw it to fill that void, he can't make it in the league. Just can't do it. My, I've said it from the beginning. If you can't pass in that league, you can't make it. You might make it for a little while, but eventually. It catches up with you. It's catch you. Yeah. It's caught up with a couple guys. I won't mention any names, but it's caught up with a couple guys. <laughs> it has, yeah. But we're really, 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 you thought we're going to be good one year, and then all of a sudden, what happened? Well, he kind of faked it pretty good for a year, you know, but they caught up. They catch, you know, they catch up with how you play. They're good coaches, and they'll take, they'll make you play left-handed, so to speak, and not allow you to do the things that you want to do. And in, in pro football, it's just I've seen it for years and years, you know. So, Al, being at so many places, you got to experience a lot of different fan bases, and you said that you know going back to Auburn, um, the fans were really appreciative and really welcoming and stuff. Sometimes fan bases can have very unrealistic expectations of their team. I will reference the University of Michigan. <laughs> that that, that uh, if you if you look at a lot of the blogs and you go to a lot of the the fan sites, some of the some of these fans just seem out of their mind. Who, which fan base though has is usually the most unrealistic out of the t- out of the places you've been? I don't want you to. Really, I guess that's why I put anybody on blast, but. No, no, because all the fan bases were pretty good. I thought, I thought, and Michigan's fan base was hard on me, but I don't. I think they got great fans. That's my job. <laughs> they're coming after you now, whether you like it or not. If you don't, you yeah. don't win. It's, they're gonna, they're gonna pick on the lieutenants, and I was a lieutenant. But uh, I don't know. You know, I found the Michigan fan base to be pretty educated. A little snobbish now. Okay, you know, well, I've, I've heard that about them as well. That, that, that Cal was the same way, believe it or not. Cal and Michigan, and, and Cal had nothing to back it up. <laughs> Michigan had something to back it up, but they can be, but not uneducated. 
they, the fan base was, you know, they had a reason they were a little snobbish. They, that's my, and they doing this Zoom I've been doing with Sam. Mm-hmm. Great questions these guys ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, I'm impressed. They know more than the average fan. Now, they don't know as much as they think they know because they never do unless you do it. It's, you know, right. but in fairness, in fairness, there's some pretty darn educated questions with some guys that, you know, that, that are diving in. To, our show takes a deep dive. I do telestrations. I show quarterback reads, footwork. What's wrong? What's it from my perspective? Right, wrong or mm-hmm. indifferent? You know, another quarterback coach coordinating my thing. But I just this is how I would coach it. It may be right. It may be wrong. Whatever. But but I got you know we were getting up a week ago. We had twenty three thousand views the last time we were on, and some of the comments were just fantastic. I mean, you get some morons now. Some guys come uh, out some really stupid stuff that just indict them. But those are few and far between. There isn't very many of them. Most of the guys are pretty perceptive. Listen, ask good questions. And I found the Michigan fan base to be very learned. Now, the, the Auburn fan base was more rabid. Okay? They were wacko. Okay? I'm talking wacko. And I love <laughs> I freaking love it. I, you know, they don't – they're not as much into how you block an off-tackle play as, as you know, what the result of the off-tackle play. I'll give you an example. We beat LSU 10-9. to you think they criticize the offense? They couldn't care less. We got one more point than they did. Well, does that's not see game. that's the difference. In Michigan, though. you would take hits for how that game. Went. They're, they're, they're never. They could win by fifteen, but if it wasn't a route, they're coming at the offense. Or you know, that's that that's that is a difference. That is a difference. They, they you know they're more analytical. They are, and, and you can't really put them down. That's the way they think, but. But all they care about is, you know, it's kind of the, the old uh, in the South. It's it's like Al Dave, just win, baby, just win, yeah. baby. Yeah. They'll carry you off on your shoulders. So you can figure out a point. I said at one point in time, you know, uh, in the book, I mentioned this. I said they didn't know who I was, right? They didn't know who I was. But but at the end of the day, if I could coach football, I didn't have to know the difference between a magnolia tree or a mint julep. Okay, it was all the same to them. Okay, win and we'll love you. As long as we got one more point than them when the game's over, they were happy. But that's not the way it is. You know, you got to have some style points certain places. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fan. Man. That's yeah. that's the deal. Does that ever does that affect recruiting at all when you're out I on the recruiting can, trail? Can a little bit. The recruits want to know is if they can play in a league. Okay, even if you don't win, if they think you can put them in the league, that's where they're going to go to school. And even. There's a, you know, a, a minuscule amount, not a minuscule, that's not fair. A good, lesser than you think, I'll say, amount are into the academic end. They, they want it. Their parents are into it now. Mm-hmm. But, and you have some students that are into it. But some of them, they did a survey a few years back. They still go to the school for the football program. You know what I mean? Yep. They still go to school. That's why they're going. The football coach is selling them. It's not some professor. Yeah. So... Uh, that's what you have to sell as a football coach is your ability to develop him and uh, play next level football. That's that's today. Now it's always kind of been, but more today than ever. See the old days. You remember? You, know, you guys might be too young, but Oklahoma used to run a wishbone, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't they, why did anybody run a wishbone anymore? Nobody stopped the wishbone. That wouldn't do it. Like guys caught up with it. They they were running a good the day they stopped running. it. Well, they stopped running the wishbone because kids didn't perceive themselves as playing NFL football in that offense. So recruiting started hurting them a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they switched into an offense or evolved into an offense that they felt they could recruit better to. So the only guys that run those types of offenses are academies. 
right? Right, yeah. Navy. Yeah, your Navy, your Army. Yep. So I think that's a lot of it. But when you're recruiting, that's the, can I play early and are you going to put me in the league? <laughs> Those are the two things I think that will come up the most. The, and the and the, the uh, can I play early has taken on a life of its own with this transfer portal. I yeah. thank the good Lord I didn't have to deal with that. Uh, yeah. that, that, that. That would have retired me before my time. But uh, <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, you gotta, they got to think they're going to get on that field because if they're second string by the time they're a sophomore, they're still in the backup, they're going to leave it. Yeah. There's, there's no more. See, I grew up, guys, when I was coaching, the starting quarterback, sometimes he didn't start till he was a junior or senior. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. That just doesn't. The guy's gone. He's gone someplace else. Well, a guy like Tom Brady sat behind for how long till he finally got his shot. Would he do that today? I doubt it. He probably would have transferred out of there, you know? Well, I don't know that. Who, who knows? I don't know. That's a what if question, you know. Nobody knows. It's a loaded question because yeah. I don't want to indict because Tom busted his butt to get rid of Yeah. Oh yeah. The compelling question, and if it's not Tom Brady, maybe somebody else. Right. You know, somebody else that did real well. So I don't. I don't know. Well, and another challenge that's just come up in the last couple of years, and I'm this probably would have driven you even more crazy is, uh, like the the sanctions for endorsements and stuff, the ability for for players to be yeah. able to make money now. And I, yeah, uh, and that one's going to be hard to sustain. Saban said that the other day. Yeah, this one's going to be hard to sustain. Now, this is this is a you know in a college locker room in a pro locker room, and you got some deals there. Now, you know, you get parents more involved in pro football; they're not involved at all. And you got some deals that are going to hard to sustain. So, I'm mean, stay tuned on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's they kind of opened up a Pandora's box there, and it's like the wild, wild west as yeah. far as that goes. So, Al, deny of the tiger. When's that coming out? August. This is my plan, guys. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, okay, remember, I'm a neophyte here. I'm a football coach trying to promote a book. So if you want to <laughs> laugh at me, feel free. Everybody else does. So, but um, I, I like football. I approached it. I'm going to research it all. You want to sell a book? You got to market it. Yeah. The best guy to market it is the guy who wrote it. Uh, I'm writing a football book about a team more than a, more than football, really. And I think as you read it, you realize that more and more. But I got to get out and I got to do it in advance, throw up some, a few uh, preemptive shots and tell people it's, it's coming out, uh, get people a little fired up about it as best I can anyway. And uh, in August, I think it, right now it's, it's finished the editing stages. It's into the typesetting stages. Everything takes about a month. But they've ensured me that it'll come out before football season. So in August, it should come out, maybe late August. And then I'm going to go to Auburn on October 1 against LSU. I'm going to do a book signing there. And if it's if there's enough interest, I'll do a book signing in Michigan somewhere. There's yeah, interest, but I know down there, they're crazy. Well, yeah. So they'll go. You know, they'll <laughs> do it. Now, what I did do in a book that the Michigan fan will find interesting is uh, the ability to do it 18 years after the fact has some advantages. So what I did is I segued to some of the times I coached earlier, right? Even though it's about the 04 season, there's a lot of comparative analysis that goes in the book. I compare coaching a guy like Jason Campbell to coaching a guy like Denard Robinson, which is, believe me, very different, okay? Very different based on skill set. So I spent a whole, you know, little deal on that. And I talk about the rivalries, you know, all the rivalries I've been with, uh, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, the Iron Bowl, UCLA, USC, the uh, Cal Stanford game, uh, I mean, all the places that I've been, I talk a little bit about the rivalries. So there's, there's, it's not just 04 
about 04. It's, it's really kind of a story of my past that culminates with uh, an undefeated season. So it's, it's good for it. It's a good read for all of it, but it's, it'll scare some people off because it's, it's, it's so the title and such is so geared to Auburn, but there's a lot more in it than that. So is that that's coming out in August? Is there going to be pre-sale dates? Do you have anything hard, anything concrete no. at all? No, and uh, God, God, I, I've been getting a lot of requests for uh, for pre for pre-orders. You know, pre-orders, yeah. I, I, I told, that's a ways out. That's a the Auburn fans are so great. The book yeah. could suck, and they'll order it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a ways out. They're great. They did because they want it. They want anything about their team. They want to know about. Yeah. But uh, but my. Publisher says they can't accommodate a pre-order. I'm still working on that, yeah, but stay tuned because okay. I've had a lot of requests for pre-orders. So uh, I'm still working on that. I'd like to like to get that done, but can't promise anything yet. Right. Well, we'll be we'll be getting copies ourselves, and we'll definitely be plugging the book. Anybody that comes on our show, so and let's do this, okay? I've been doing this with other radio stations. Uh, when it comes out, let's go back. Let's get back together. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll give it a read, and we can really. I'll give you all the time it. you want, just uh, just so I can kind of make it to, to, to people listening to you. I can say it's out. You can get it on Amazon, blah blah blah, and yeah. then we can talk. Like it'll be right around football, so it'll be perfect. We can talk oh, yeah. about that'd be you know, great. Yeah, I mean, see, I'll have a better feel for the climate of college football at that time. So we'll, do, we'll we do that. definitely look forward to that, Al. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank yeah. you we'll so just, much. We'll do it again. We'll do it again, uh, probably in August, Absolutely. maybe early uh, September. Okay? That'd be great. So don't. Keep my number. Don't forget me. I'm going to keep all these anyways. I may, uh, I may, uh, when it's out, I might just ship you a little text. Yeah. Little, uh, okay. Yeah. What I'll uh, do, Al, is I'll send you the link because we'll, I'll edit the video. We'll post it to YouTube and then we're, we're on Spotify and all the different audio podcast stuff. I'll, I'll send you the link to that as well. If you want to okay. share anything or, or anything like that. And did you guys befriend me on Facebook? You did, didn't you, Andy? I did. I don't believe Hoffman has. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'll look yeah, you up. Friend me, so because I'll, I'll let you in, and then you can, because I, 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 you can follow it. I mean, you just look at my feed; you're going to see yeah. where we are with it. I'm keeping you up to date. So, per- okay, perfect. All right, thank you for coming on tonight, Al. We really appreciate it. You bet, you guys. Have a good one. Yep. All right, we'll talk to you later. So that was our interview with Mr. Al Borges, um, a legendary offensive coordinator uh, and journeyman coach in uh, in college football. Uh, good guy. What do you think, Kentucky? Oh, uh, I thought he was. <laughs> That is very personable. Yeah, I love I love a guy that comes on that I can just sit there and chop it up with. Yeah, shoot the shit with. You know what I was impressed with was your questions, man. You did your homework, dude. You, I love college football. I you know put me you on do. The spot with who was on that '97 Michigan national championship team. You put me on the spot but by like booking just, all these college. I just wasn't expecting it. Is all. You know, you, like, you I, put, I know my right. on that team. You know, I know who's on that team. Well, now you know how I feel because you put me on the spot by like booking all these fantastic college football guests, and I'm like, I don't know. I I I have to like learn everything you know about college football in a week. I'm just trying to get guys that got something to hawk off, and it just happens to be (laughs) it just happens to be the way it is. Don't worry, man. I'll get some I'll get some baseball guys on again. (laughs) Like you're infinitely more knowledgeable with baseball than (sighs) I am. So. Yeah, well, Jason Wirtz is well, far even more. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do that. Is we'll I'll book him and I'll have you and Wirtz host like we did for <laughs> Billy Barr Jr. That worked out great, honestly. Let's just. I wish that I had like a an equivalent stand-in for college football that could sit next to you and do the college football interview. Guys. Leroy would do it if you Leroy didn't would. live yeah, like exactly. on the other side of the country. We just need to get him in like a. a 
on the Zoom call. On the Zoom call. If yeah. your Zoom will will uh, you know if I pay the bill. Apparently, if I pay the bill. <laughs> oh god, how embarrassing. Yeah. <clears throat> Had the lights turned off on us, huh? Yep. We have the lights turned <laughs> off. Well, hopefully you shutting her down. Your your editing skills will come in handy, and it'll seem seamless. And uh, yeah, we'll just, just putting it to the test. This week, I'm huh? really putting it to the test. That's that's my challenge to all our listeners out there. Let's see if you can spot where we forgot to pay the light bill, and uh, <laughs> we forgot to pay the Zoom bill. And Hoffman's Zoom just decided to stop. A prize for the first first, first person that correctly guesses. <laughs> it's it. like it's at thirty four thirty six or something. Yeah, you have you to know? do it within four seconds. <laughs> so that was our show this week. Anything else to add, Wataki? Oh no, I think I'm good, Hoffman. Okay, we want to thank our sponsors once again: Curveball Collectibles at one sixty six North Center Road in Saginaw. Uh, Mike Wilson's a good friend of ours, and. Um, uh, also, the Chemical City paper, Michael Westendorf, um, the publisher of that paper. They're always putting out good content. And, um, yeah, so thank you to, to our listeners, our sponsors, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, it's a sports ball. You've been listening to the Small Market Podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, send us a message at smallmarketpodcast at gmail.com, or get more behind-the-scenes writings from Hoffman at smallmarketpodcast.blogspot.com. Music for the Small Market Podcast has been provided by the 8-Arm Killer.